Hi everyone and welcome to the January 2021 edition of the DistilleryTours.Scot podcast, giving you that wee bit of extra insight from Scotland's whisky distilleries. My name's Nikki Simpson and in this episode I spoke to Stuart Buchanan, Global Brand Ambassador for Brown Foreman, who own the Benriach, Glendronach and Glenglassa distilleries. Stuart talks about the different whisky profiles of the three distilleries, gives his high points from the Benriach distillery restoration, tells us more about the history of Glendronach and the surrounding area, and wets our palate with the tasting notes from the Glendronach portwood. This episode was recorded in December 2020, when the world had been social distancing for around nine months to stop the spread of COVID-19. If you'd like to find out more about the Glendronach distillery and its whisky, check out distillerytours.scot and click on the Book Now button on the Glendronach listing. We hope you enjoy it. So hi, Stuart Buchanan, Global Brand Ambassador for Brown Foreman, who own the Benriach, Glendronach, and how do you pronounce the third one, distilleries? Glenglassa. Ah, Glenglassa, okay, great. So tell us a bit about yourself and your career working in distilleries. Uh, Yeah, so, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been... um, what now, 28 years almost, I think, uh, approaching that anyway, I've been in industry. And I started off in my hometown of Tobermory in the west coast of Scotland, in the Isle of Mull. Um, started in industry as a hostelman, um, and I loved it. At that point, what really captured my imagination with whiskey, it wasn't even so much about the taste or even the, the, the maturation. It was, for me, it was production. Uh, and even the engineering behind that production, that was my kind of background leaving school. So, you know, being on a West Coast island, you had to do a lot of maintenance yourself, keep the keep the keep the the heart of the distillery pumping and um that's you, you learn a lot that way, you know, just diving into pumps, valves, keeping the mash tun going, welding, pipe work, etc. So yeah, that that was always my passion for whiskey. Uh, and I was very lucky from there to be offered to to move to Speyside when we first um, acquired Benriach uh, back in two thousand four. Um, and that was really a distillery that we took over that was in a mothballed state. It had been closed for two years and led well into my kind of enjoyment of, of whiskey, which was basically taking the distillery apart and putting it back together again and getting it fit for purpose. So every valve pump washer of, 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 of uh, nut bolt screw, I've, I've touched every corner of it. And then it's, 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 it's fantastic to see a distillery almost be, you know, being brought back to life like that. Um, and it does make the most fantastic spirit, and even the production style through there. Uh, production's always been my baby. And then from there, um, luckily I, I moved into warehousing, looking at across the maturation, doing a fantastic eclectic mixture of casks, filling in Benriach, which gives us like, the beautiful expressions we have today, um, and then ultimately moving into the management of production. So really I've touched every single part of, of the industry there until I moved in 2012 into my current role, which is the global brand ambassador for all three of our brands. I totally get that, that um, love of the production and engineering side of it. I think especially when you're kind of in it from the start and you can, um, you're saying you're doing all the maintenance yourself. I can, I totally get that. Um, um, do you miss that side of it now that you're in more of a marketing role? <laughs> yes, let's say that. Uh, I do, and I do like getting my hands dirty. You know, I miss the oil, I miss the smells, I miss the noises. But luckily, even at home, I'm I'm quite hands-on with my motorbikes on my cars, so I still get some oil in my hands now and again. But I, 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 it's funny, when I walk around any distillery, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the, 
how, how they how they pump the condensate from the stills from the bottom and circulate it back to the boiler. That's a wee things that interest me. And and another thing which was funny and I miss maybe in the modern day distillers distilleries is the noises. You know, when you walk into a distillery, it's such an experience, a sensory experience. It's not just about maybe what you're looking at, the still shape, etc. It's a sm and the smells even. But it's even the noises an old distillery makes, you know, the, the puffing of the steam, the, the moving of the valves, the, the, the boiling of the stills themselves. It's an all-round sensory experience. And sometimes I feel a modern distillery is kind of lacking that, be hearing that beating heart. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's a kind of, um, it's almost like reminiscent of a, of, um, a steam train or something, e isn't it? Exactly. That's exactly what's going through my mind just as I was talking about that. Yeah. So what was it like restoring Ben Reich then? What what were the high points for you? Ultimately, actually seeing that first run of spirit coming through it after we'd really put it together uh, and, and actually moving some parameters there. So when we did start up, it did give us an open, uh, let's say an open book to to, to tweak a few things uh, to our discretion. So we, we always knew with the spirit we had and, and what we had in the warehouse that it did produce this most fantastic fruit forward spirit. The, the most fruit complexity I've ever seen in any spirit, actually, which definitely carries on through production. But then even when we started up, it's like, well, how can we harness that? How can we actually drive that further? So just things like moving the the, 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 the parameters of the, the spirit cup, for example, or even just slowing the stills down or pushing out the fermentation times, all these lovely little things, changing the water temperature, all these wee things that I think are enjoyable as a, a production person that you can see make tiny little movements but do push and drive spirit flavors in different, maybe further, um, and and you you've got to do that. You know you've got to always look and see what can we do better. How can we push it further? You don't want to again take away the DNA of the distillery, but you're wanting to enhance that by just driving these little little tweaks um, to make it the most perfect spirit you can. Yeah, I'm with you on that one as well. I think um, there's something quite geeky about that, isn't there? The kind of mm -hmm. if I just if I just tweak this tiny bit, how will that change it? Yeah, and, and people can't imagine that it is, it's, you're talking minutes, you're talking degrees here, half a degree in some cases. Uh, you know that that's a, and that's the detail, and that's it's not overly technical. It's do it, taste it, let's see what happens. It's very hands on and sensory when it comes to that. It's nothing overly analytical. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, what does your average day look na look like now then and before COVID struck? What are, you, what are you missing most about your normal day to day or what used to be normal? Well, that was, that's what I loved. Again, I've been in production for most of my life when I could get, you know, it's you know, unleashed around the world. I, I loved that, that traveling and, you know, being in airports every day, time zones and hitting this airport at that time, getting to this tasting from that airport. I was just talking the other day to somebody, what I, I asked the same question. And the funny thing you might not you might not find that you get from doing that is actually an, an adrenaline rush from actually being busy like that, having to be in this place, in this airport, getting that flight. That's actually something I miss is that, that buzz of, of travel. And of course, the people that, that, that are in front of me uh, around the world as well. So that, that's, that's lacking a little bit. And it's a funny, it's a funny aspect to it that maybe a lot of people don't think of. But, you know, I've been very fortunate that uh, even since I was pulled back from Australia, actually, back in March, um, that I have been busy. You know, I can still go and do the Zoom tastings, etc. in the morning, 9 o'clock, I can be, or 8 o'clock, 7, 7 a.m. in the morning, I can do a live tasting to, to Asia or to Australia. 
and then I can still be on till midnight doing a tasting to Louisville or yeah, last week it was in uh, um, Chicago or somewhere like that. So yeah, and, and Europe in between. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that way. And Seven o'clock's early, but I guess it's five o'clock somewhere, huh? <laughs> exactly. And, and that's the thing, I, you know, I can joke about it that maybe my breakfast is six single cask, cask strength drams, you know, that definitely sets <laughs> you up for the day. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, do you think that will continue, um, you know, once COVID's over and you're able to travel freely again? Do you think you'll do as much travel as you used to or do you think a lot more um, tastings will be conducted over Zoom? I think they can work hand in hand and I, I really would want to maintain that as well because I, if there's one positive we can take out of this, you know, people that, that maybe were reaching uh, in, in these platforms or maybe people we wouldn't have seen in face-to-face because you've got to remember sometimes there is a, let's call it an intimidation or a fear factor with single malt whiskies. Maybe people see a tasting and even the word tasting might put them off, you know, is my palate good enough to, to go amongst that group of whiskey experts or whiskey fanatics that am I good enough to join that but what I found with online yeah they'll sit in their couch they'll happily listen away they can they can ask questions they can comment there's, there's less of that intimidation um where I think that's where I can take a positive from I think reaching reaching people I haven't done before and I want I do personally want to keep that uh, momentum going in that respect but obviously you can't beat traveling and, and, and meeting the people and having the, the fun that we do as we, we go around the world. That's what whiskey's about, fun. Yeah, definitely. And I think I, I, that's true. I mean, I think Zoom and, um, you know, other platforms are uh, have really democratised a lot of these things, haven't they? they? You know, people feel more comfortable in their own living rooms than they might do if a, in, a, in a more formal setting, huh? Indeed, indeed. And even I've seen, it's great even watching that on, on your, your screen and you might see Maybe there's 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 one uh, consumer there that's engaged with you, but maybe that a partner or so another family member's there who who maybe had never gone down that avenue of single malt before, but then they're tasting it and going, oh this I didn't realise it could be like this, and you're really you know you're spreading the word, you're spreading the passion, and before you know it, the person who was quiet is the most vocal. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. Great. Um, so you now work across the three brands then of Benriach, Glendronach and Glenglasa. Can you tell us about the different profiles of the whiskey? I certainly can. And, and I'm sitting here in my kitchen in Elgin at the moment. So I'm up in the north of Speyside. So really that the capital of Speyside, let's call it, in Elgin. And one thing I love, and I think as I will say it's very unique, is the three distilleries we, three distilleries we have sit in this lovely triangle in this northeast corner. So... I'm in Elgin, Benriach is only three miles away. I can be there in five minutes. And even today, looking out the window and yesterday, even though it is, you know, late in the, in the winter, big blue skies. That for me is Speyside. You know, even, I, I love the, well, let's call it, well, let's, you can argue the point whether there's terroir involved with whiskey or not, but I think when I talk about earthy distilleries, I, I love the, the, the locations which really are harnessed in the expressions as well. So Benriach for me is big blue skies, Big fruit complexity, as I mentioned. And then if we drive, let's say, 35 or 30 miles east to Glenglasa, you couldn't get anything more different. You're sitting right on that that, that coastline, right on the, the edge of the Murray Firth there. Um, and, and every day changes. So you've got, whether it's the tides out and you think you're in the Caribbean or the tides in and there's lashing white horses and waves and you think you're, goodness knows, uh, in the middle of the Atlantic or the North Sea, it's such a such a 
uh, an ever-changing landscape there. And I think with Glenglasser, it really has got this lovely coastal note running through it, not only in its its uh, location, but even running through the liquid as well. So it's only 30 miles away. It's, it's, it's nothing, you know. And then from there, we drive inland another 25 or so miles to Glendronach. And there you're in the heart of Aberdeenshire. And I always say Glendronach is almost your, let's call it your short, shortbread box picture of, of Scotland. You know, the rolling hills, the highland cows, you know, absolutely picturesque scenery around you there. And castles as far as I can see. Uh, so that that little northeast corner we've got that cover our three distilleries, you're even travelling so through such fantastic landscapes. And and you do taste that in, in, in the experience as you're as you're going through the drams. Glendronach, for example, I don't think you can get a richer, deeper Highland spirit, you know, very robust, very dark, you know, all the big sherry cast maturation there is a big, you know, dark, robust Highlander. Whereas back to Glendronach again, very much that brighter, fresher, crisper, more playful malt, let's say. Um, so yeah, I, I love all three equally um, because they do offer such contrasting characters. Do you think that that was a, a conscious decision to buy those three separate distilleries for the for the different profiles? What I will say is it was purely, let's say by accident, it was never planned to have that. But what it, what it does mean is and I, I truly believe this, you could never do it again. I don't think in this day and age you could come into, you know, the world of distilleries and, and buy three distilleries which have such contrasting styles and actually, more importantly, in, in such a, a small footprint. You know, we don't have to go from one end of Scotland to the other to get to get these contrasts. It's in this lovely uh, small triangle. Um, so it was more circumstance at the time. And more importantly, and, and, and the reason one of the reasons I say you would never do it again is even getting the history of the the, the whiskies there. So Berea whiskey right back to 1966, um, Glendronach right back to 68, and Glenglasa back to 63. That will never happen again, I can guarantee it. So uh, we're so lucky that, that it, it did happen. You mentioned the history there. What's the history of Glendronach? Yeah, Glendronach. Uh, you know, when you walk, uh, even when you drive down to Glendronach, anybody that, that, that takes a, a drive to Glendronach, when you go through these um, you know, the, the, the hills of Aberdeenshire, even as you start entering the Valley of Forg where the distillery sits, you get that sense of history. Um, and it, it, it was a mill before. It was an old mill building called Boyne's Mill. Um, because as you approach the distillery, you'll see a little burn, a wee river that runs through the distillery. And a lot of people think that's our source water. It runs actually right under this distillery. But that actually was previously the lead for the water wheel that would have ground the barley. So you can touch on the heritage and history of seeing what it was even pro before 1826 when it was then um, established as a distillery itself. But you'll find that just a lot in the old distilleries, it was an easy conversion from a mill to a distillery because you had the water, you had the barley. That's the two main ingredients. So a lot of these old distilleries in the maybe the, the early 1800s, it, it was a quite a common um, conversion. Um, we are lucky that we can look, trace back all that history because Glendronach Glen wasn't um, affected by what we call the Patterson Crash, which was a huge demise in the industry in the early 1900s. So Glendronach survived that and, and ran continually right up until 1996. Um, and it did have a short closure there until 2002. So we can trace that history right back over what is maybe three main owners. The original founder, uh, James Allardyce, who we call our 18-year-old, is, is named after. 
he, he was the landowner of, of, of the time. He did then make that um, conversion from the mill to the distillery. And I think he seemed to maybe, let's say, live beyond his means at some point. He was doing a lot of socialising and travelling down to London. He did eventually go bankrupt uh, not, not long after, um, roughly about 1830. And then um, through the 1830s, 40s, it falls into the hands of a, another quite well-known distiller at that point, a guy called um, uh, Walter Scott. Not Sir Walter Scott, but another gentleman, Walter Scott. And then he takes on the distillery for a long period of time through that um, mid to, to late 1800s. And that's even then when we can start to see the sherry casks coming into play. You know, you, you can see the sherry casks and, and invoices coming from um, Cadiz or leaving the port of Cadiz in Spain, coming to Scotland and being used in the maturation of Benvia. So um, not only do we get fantastic history of actually distilling there, more importantly, that cask uh, provenance in, in the history of using the sherry casks, which we're famed for today. Thank you. That's interesting. So the Patterson crash that you mentioned was uh, was Ben Riach or or Glen Glasser affected by that? Yes, and that that was uh, again going back to the history. A rather unfortunate time, more so for for Ben Riach. Um, the founder there, John Duff, he he had really started his whiskey empire by building Ben Lossy um, in the late eighteen hundreds, um, which is only maybe three miles from Ben Riach. He then went on to build a Longmorn Distillery, which is only 500 metres away from Benria. Then in 1898, he founded uh, Benria itself. But unfortunately, well, at that point, whiskey was booming. In the latter part of the 1800s, there were so many distilleries being built um, around Scotland. It was really boom time. But then there was a huge crash came in the, the, the late 1800s to the early 1900s, where I would say over a quarter of distilleries in Scotland closed. And it was they blame this gentleman Patterson, and, and he was a he was a let's say a, a malt supplier, a whiskey supplier for blends, and he was you know purchasing the, the production of the all these new boom time distilleries. He was selling that on for blending purposes. He then goes bankrupt. He lays a lot of distilleries in debt, and that was maybe between let's say eighteen ninety eight and nineteen ten, maybe a ten year spread there. Huge demise in the industry. But then also you get the war. The World War One kicks in, and again you get depressions and economical climates. So the whiskey industry took a great hit in that early part of the century, and took a long time to re- recover. Um, and Glasgow also was affected by that. And that's where you see a lot of distilleries maybe even operating today. There was another wave of of boom time in the nineteen sixties. Um, again, Berea reopened in nineteen sixty five. Glen Glasser reopened, uh, or was refitted in 1957, reopened in 1960. And you'll see that across Scotland where there's a big gap in history and then that 60s boom, again on the back of blending particularly, and then thirst for for blended whisky, which then subsequently leads on to the the rise of single malts further down the line. So yeah, a lot lot of ups and downs, but that's what I love about the history of whisky. It's never been constant. There's always been changes and these wee changes lead to different different things happening uh, along the way. Thank you, that's really interesting. Um, uh, when we spoke before, you mentioned a bottle that you have displayed in the distillery and, and a nearby memorial wood. This is at Glendronach. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, actually, Glendronach being uh, Aberdeenshire, you know, really in the heartlands of Aberdeenshire there, just just um, west of Huntley. And it was um, basically the, the regiment of that area was the Gordon Highlanders. And um, funnily enough, even if you go back to Allardyce's days back in the early 1800s, he was 
I think one of his main cronies, let's call him, was uh, I think it was the fifth Duke of Gordon, who who was the the, the figurehead of the of the um, Gordon Highlanders, and then even subsequently into Walter Scott's days, I think uh, no, sorry, not Walter Scott. Um, Charles Grant, who was the owner through the nineteen thirties, he was also in the Gordon Highlanders. So there was a, a big association with the, with the local regiment. Um, but the bottle we have, I get my, my hair stands in my arms when I think about it. But there is a bottle on display in the visitor centre, which was it was really three friends who were going off to war at the outbreak of World War One, um, and as as three local boys, they they bought a bottle of Glendronach each. Um, to, to then celebrate on the return, they would all open their bottles and have a wee dram together. Um, so unfortunately, um, only one of the, the three uh, boys returned and the bottle was never opened. And, and it was, again, huge respect to the family that they then passed that bottle and a lovely letter um, with it in uh, commemorating that. And that's its pride of place in the visitor centre itself. I think the bottle itself was you know, distilled distilled in the late eighteen hundreds and bottled in nineteen thirteen. So what a bit wow. of uh, archive to have there, and and a, a lovely touching story there. And there's also at the back of the story as you walk up to the waters the water dam. There's the Gordon Wood, which again is another memorial to all the the, the, the fallen soldiers um, from the Gordon Highlanders. And I think there was every tree in that wood was almost representing a. A fallen soldier along the way. So nice wee touching walk as you as you walk up and have a wee dram at the top of the dam. Huh. Um, amazing how much. Um, I mean, it's not amazing. It's not astonishing, but it's it's uh, horrific, really, how much uh, the you know the wars have affected mm. so many people and so how now these are just the remnants of what we see now, isn't it? We don't yeah. you know a, a wood and a and a bottle, beautiful beautiful ways to commemorate but still you just think especially for that small communities you know you think about yeah. these communities that were so small and so you know so localized and yeah huge demise of the male population particularly yeah. so yeah it's uh, yeah i've got my hairs are standing and end again no people losing <laughs> off their whole family huh really yeah. sad thank you um so so is it true you have a ghost as well what's the story there <laughs> yes we we do have a ghost um and I, I, yeah, I, I will say what I will say is Glen, Glen House itself. So as you as you enter down into the Valley of Fog and you see the distillery, you know, nestled on top of that river, as I mentioned, there is a, a the large kind of Georgian house which is on the grounds. And I think that dates to about seventeen seventy one, but it would have been there before that in some respects, and was maybe remodelled in seventeen seventy one. But yeah, there's 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 definitely. A little bit of spookiness going on there, and uh, they say as a Spanish lady again, these stories have been passed down to to us as as now present owners um, of the Spanish lady, and seemingly I think there was some kind of love triangle going over in Spain, where this lady ended up getting, I think maybe let's say, uh, she disappeared and she disappeared in a sherry cask and arrived on the doorstep of Glendronach, so um, she seems to roam the roam the halls. But the funny thing is, I was talking to, to one of the, the previous family owners from the Charles Grant time, and I know her, his, one of his must be great granddaughters, and even that story was passed down to her as a child, that the house was haunted and there was always some happenings there. I, 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 we have people staying there as guests quite often, and maybe when they leave, 
Um, I'll do a wee tidy up or go around the rooms, make sure they've not left anything. But there is two rooms, rooms particularly, which is in a slightly darker um, hall down the back. And I always say to myself, I think I'll just leave these two rooms for later. I'll, I'll do that when it's <laughs> a bit brighter. So I've never had any experiences, but yeah. Do you believe in it hallway, then? Do you think, I do, do, I mean, do, you, do, do no, you kind of get the creeps going into those rooms? I do, especially when you look down there, because this hall kind of is the longest hall that runs to the back and you're almost looking into nowhere and it's like, oh, I'll do the front room, but I'll just leave that wee one. Uh, but yeah, I've had people coming down for breakfast white as a sheet and it's, you know, it's footsteps, it's door rattling, it's maybe business cars being moved. But the funny thing is, well, it's maybe not funny, but it, it seems to be more females that the Spanish lady goes to. So I don't know if the, the Spanish lady is reaching out to a, you know, a female for companionship as, as she's wandering the halls in the evening but it's well maybe if she was involved in a maybe she was involved in a love triangle then maybe it was a woman who shoved her in a cask in the first place and now maybe. she's out to wreak her revenge you never know <laughs> never thought about that could be <laughs> i think if it was me i'd be going straight to those rooms i'd be desperate to see one <laughs> like I, I, where is she come on i'm ready <laughs> don't don't I honestly don't I, I i am the same opinion sometimes it's like oh i wish, I wish something would happen but i'll keep on trying maybe yeah <laughs> So Glendronic is known for its sherry maturation. Can you tell us more about that process? Yeah. And even if you look back, you know, we were very lucky when we, we acquired the distillery that um, we did get our stock right back to 1968. Uh, and you look across that infantry we have, you know, the sherry casks are, are, are there's really a style that, that I think um, you cannot replicate, you know, that, that and, and the better way I can maybe explain it is going back to this, this location. It's, it's a big Highland distillery. So if I can put you into the kind of the style that we're making and the spirit, it's a very rich spirit. It's, it's got this lovely oily viscosity. If you this, What the stills are producing is this spirit, which is full of dark fruits, brambles, blackberries, blueberries. But it's also got this lovely leathery spice note running through it, even sandalwood spice. That's the new make before the spirit. Sorry, before maturation. Wow. So if you look at sherry casks, the flavours you're going to get from sherry casks are, are of a similar style. You'll only be talking about dark fruits, you'll be talking about oak spices, you'll be talking about that cigar box notes maybe you'll get from the oak. So you can see a synergy between the spirit and the cask. And I always say the happiest place for a spirit to be is in a cask that's got you know familiar flavours. And I think even the previous distillers right back to probably Allardyce's days, but definitely into the 1840s with uh, Walter Scott's days, they knew that synergy was there. They knew this, the spirit was going to really go well with that sherry maturation, and it's lasted the, the test of time ever since. And even today, uh, Master Blender Rachel Barry, we, we go to Spain, we, we, don't, we work with several bodegas, and, and we bespoke the sherry cast at the seasoning time, for example, the toasting times, um, and the wood type that then now today come to. Glendronach, so uh, very much part of its history and, and it will be for for the, f the future going on. But it really is a, is a beautiful style and works well with that spirit. Um, the funny thing is, um, if you look back in time, sherry cast really started becoming popular, I think, roughly in about the 1840s. Um, so that's where you see most of the sherry cask influence coming through. And I don't know if this is correct, but it's always something I put out there. If there's any wine drinkers there, there was the the wine, the grape blight throughout France um, in the early maybe the 1830s, 1840s in France, which devastated the vineyards. 
And if you think about what was being brought to Scotland, people have been drinking clarets, etc. Red wines and, and big wines would have been a big, a big part of actually maturation as well, because these casks were coming to Scotland. And I really feel that it was the, the, the wine blight and the scarcity of red wines, which then people said, well, what I'm going to fill now? Okay, let's go to sherry and start using sherry casks. And, and I don't know, I would love, to, I, I do believe that's correct, because the timings are right that that's where you see sherry casks really coming into their own and be more dominant in uh, Scottish warehouses of the 1800s. Just an interesting quirk. Yeah, that definitely makes sense, doesn't it? The timing. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Uh, can you tell us more about the Glendronach Portwood? And if you have its tasting notes, that'd be really lovely to hear. I do have, and I, it's almost as if we planned this because <laughs> if you, and, and it's a funny thing that's happening today because you, you, you do see a lot of maturation in different cast styles, secondary maturations, which I love. But remembering what I mentioned is that synergy between cask and spirit. So Glendronach, even the meaning of Glendronach, it means the valley of the brambles. So mm. the valley of the blackberries. So that's the flavour notes we're looking for. The valley is called the valley of the brambles. I mentioned in the stills, we're getting this fruit complexity. How can we bring another level of fruit complexity to the whiskey? We can go back to possibly the casks that James Allardyce was using in 1826, which would have been port. You call it the kind of old world wine casks that would have been uh, regularly found in maturation back then. So if you look at what we're doing with the the the, 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 the port casks, you know, we're taking that lovely Glendronach spirit. It does start its life in the European oak, the Spanish oak, which we have in our core range. But then from moving it there, then into the port casks, you will not believe when you taste it, it's just brambles. The bramble is what we're looking for. That real fruit elevation. And it's a brighter, crisper, fresher, um, maybe bramble, blackberry, jammy, compote note. That's what we're looking for and trying to harness in the port casks, which works extremely well. It sounds absolutely delicious. Makes me uh, pine for scones. Does it go well with scones? <laughs> it does. Yeah, I can just picture it now. <laughs> a big bit of cream scones. Um, but also, that's a great thing. I think when you look at, you know, they're big port, what we call port pipes. So they're actually the largest casks we use in Scotland, with us anyway. They're 600 litres, almost big cigar shape, um, long, long, almost six foot in length. Wow. Uh, so quite difficult cast to move around. You know, big, we've got some big warehouse guys who's quite lucky they can shift them. But they're big casks, but you get this lovely, steady, long interaction uh, with them and also a lovely influence from the oak as well. So it's not all about the fruits. We do it, um, I say we will probably accentuate that bramble note within the spirit, but there's also a lovely wood interaction, which gives you this, let's call it a sign of vintage, that lovely dry spice at the back of the palate as well. Lovely. Um, so a uh, final question then, Stuart, um, it's something that we ask everyone. What advice would you give to someone who would like to know more about whiskey? Never, Never hold the first opinion on a whiskey. That's and that was that's that's what I would always say. You know, and people, as I'm sure people have said to you, you know, their first memory of whiskey is maybe having a sip from their their grandmother or their grandfather, and, and as a child or somebody's got toothache or even just the smell of whiskey back then wasn't was off putting to them. So they'll never go back or never go back to it. But even in a whiskey itself, you pick that whiskey up. Never just taste it and think, oh, I don't like that. 
because that first sip of whiskey, you're just actually getting your palate used to it. You're just, you're just getting your body almost in tune with, with the glass there. So you let it sit. If it's not to your taste, go back again. Let it sit, go back again. And never overthink it. There's three things I look for in whiskey. And I particularly have a sweet tooth when it comes to whiskey. And I would say, well, what am I looking for? Let me not just think about the whole flavour. Let me just pull out one flavour and just think about that. And I'll just say, well, what fruit are you tasting? Are you tasting apples and pears like you would do at Benrich? Are you tasting almost mangoes and papayas and passion fruits as you would do with Glenglassa? Or are you tasting the dark berry fruits, the brambles, the raisins, the dates of Glendronach? So I would just actually just think about one thing at a time. Don't overthink it. And once you've got that one thing, you can then start thinking, okay, now what's the spice? Is it a pepper? Is it a chilli even? Is it a oaky spice? And it's almost like breaking it down, almost trying to deconstruct that, deconstruct that whiskey in your head. And then once you've done that and you sit back and go, oh goodness, I never tasted that before when I just took the sip and only thought about the word whiskey. Yeah, because I think the first taste, that's a really great tip. The first taste is always just, all you can taste is the actual alcohol flavour. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That kind of, because it hits you so hard because, um, you, you know, your 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 body's not ready yeah. ever for 60%, 40% alcohol. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's funny, I said it the other, the other day, I think that first sip of the whiskey, it's almost just like tuning for, it's like boinging a tuning for, and then that's you in tune, and then you can start, again, deconstructing it. And it's a nice way, single malt you should always drink slowly. You know, sometimes I'll go to different parts of the world where they have maybe different drinking cultures and they'll maybe knock back a 1975 whiskey in one and I'm like, no, stop. So um, single malt should be enjoyed, sip and savour, enjoy it slowly. And even seeing how it opens up in the glass, how your palate changes even sip by sip, because your palate will change as you go back to a whiskey, leave it and go back again. So take your time and sip and savour. Thanks, Stuart. Great tip. Uh, if you, you anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before we go? Yeah, just again, our visitor centres, as much as uh, we've been working in difficult circumstances, uh, Glendronach is up and running. It's, um, uh, I would say, keep your eye on the websites um, as far as any updating um, and our opening hours through the course of even 2021. Uh, but we're offering great tours there. Um, it's not only just you can go and do a tour, you can actually use it just to go and hang out at the bar. You can do several flights. We have a chocolate uh, pairing alongside the core range. You can actually do an old world wines tasting, like I mentioned, diving into the old port, cask, oh, red wine cask. Also some lovely vintage tastings. And actually at the bar there, you can maybe try the batches, which is the only place in the world you can see a full batch of the releases we've done historically, as well as the visitor centre's manager's dram, which is only available there. So great places to go. And, and you don't have to do the tour. You can go, just hang out, chat to the guys and, and get a great experience across the board. Um, Benriach, we have never had a visitor centre there before. Um, it was only just by appointment we would take guests in previously. But just this week, we've now finished and fully stocked our new visitor centre at Benriach. And it will open on January the 15th. And times will be, I'm sure, through the weekend at first, but then we'll open that up as we go on. And what we're going to do there is really give you a huge sensory experience so we really want to dive into the layers of flavour and give people an understanding of what's creating them. Uh, so you'll see deconstructions, you know, sensory experiences of each part through the production even, telling you where these uh, flavours are starting to develop. So it's almost an education, but fun. 
uh, when you come to any of our home places in our visitor centres. Well, I'll look forward to that then. Can't wait. At the time of publication, the Glendronach distillery was closed to help stop the spread of COVID-19. But with vaccinations now underway, we're sure we'll see them open again soon. If you've enjoyed hearing from Stuart and would like to find out more, check out distillerytours.scot and click on the Book Now button on the Glendronach listing. Distillerytours.scot has every whisky distillery visitor centre in one place. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram or sign up for our Distillery and Whiskey News monthly email to hear the podcast first at distillerytours.scot forward slash sign up. In our next episode in February, we'll be speaking to Paul Graham, Visitor Centre Operations Manager at the Ardnohoe Distillery on the Isle of Isla. We look forward to seeing you then.